0: Pastor, and the message, please let it bring glory and honor to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we're there in Matthew chapter number one, and this morning we are starting a brand new uh, sermon series entitled The Nativity, and uh, we're going to spend the next several weeks. Of course, we're now officially in the uh, Christmas season. And we're going to spend the next several weeks going through a Christmas sermon series. Uh, And what we're going to do is we're going to be studying the different characters of uh, the Christmas story. And we're going to spend some time going through each one of the characters and looking at uh, the role they played and some things that we can uh, learn from them and remember uh, from them uh, as we uh, study this uh, series. And, of course, the, the best time to be add a uh, new sermon series is right at the beginning, right at the beginning of a sermon series. I'm glad that you are here, and I want to encourage you to just make the decision to be with us every week of this sermon series as we kind of build up uh, to the, of course, the main character uh, of the Christmas season, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, I want you to be here and, of course, study these different characters with us. Today, we're going to begin with the character who I would uh, make the argument is the most overlooked Christmas character of the Christmas story. And today, we're going to look at the role that Joseph played in the Christmas story. Joseph, of course, being the husband of Mary, being the stepfather of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I consider Joseph kind of the forgotten character of the Christmas story, the overlooked character of the Christmas story. Uh, The Bible actually has quite a bit to say about Joseph and the role he played in the Christmas story, but it seems that we often uh, minimize Joseph in the Christmas story, and it seems that we often uh, don't think too much about uh, Joseph. In fact, this is highlighted, uh, I kind of wanted to just prove this point by way of introduction, and this is highlighted uh, I think in the Christmas carols or the Christmas uh, uh, hymns that we sing, if you, can, if you think about the Christmas hymns, uh, the themes of the Christmas hymns are often, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, Mary is a major theme in the Christmas stories, in the Christmas songs, uh, we sing about the angels, we sing about the shepherds, we, think, we sing about the wise men, uh, but we don't sing a lot about Joseph, you know. Uh, There are not many songs that reference Joseph. I don't know that there are any songs that reference Joseph. I didn't go through and look at every Christmas song. Uh, But just to give you uh, an example, just just to kind of make the point, think about one of the most famous uh, Christmas songs, Silent Night. Think of these words, Silent Night, Holy Night, All is Calm, All is Bright. Round, young virgin, mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace. Sleep in heavenly peace. No mention of Joseph. Joseph was there. Uh, Joseph was was had had a front row seat to the events. Of the Christmas story, uh, how about this one? God rest ye, Mary, gentlemen. Fear not, then," said the angel. "Let nothing you affright. This day is born a savior of a pure virgin, bright to free all those who trust in him from Satan's power and might. O oh, tidings and comfort and joy, comfort and joy. No mention again of Joseph. How about this one? O little town of Bethlehem, for Christ is born of Mary. And gathered all above while mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wandering love. O morning stars, together proclaim the holy birth and praises, sing to God the King and peace to men on earth. And it's just interesting to me as we uh, sing these songs that we, we really sing about and highlight uh, every character in the Christmas story, uh, but not Joseph. Joseph seems to be overlooked and Joseph seems to be uh, forgotten. So I'd like to begin this morning with looking at Joseph and the role that he played in the Christmas story. And I'd like us to look at this individual, the I think the most overlooked uh, Christmas character. And there are several things I'd like you to notice about Joseph. And if you're taking notes, and I do encourage you to take notes on the back of your course of the week, there's a place for you to jot some things down. I'd like to begin, uh, if you're going to write down the points, maybe you can write this number one. I'd like to begin with the dilemma of Joseph. The dilemma of Joseph. And I want you to notice what the Bible says here. In Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18, the Bible says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. And this is, of course, the Matthew version of the Christmas story. The most famous of the Christmas uh, stories is in Luke, Luke chapter 2, and we'll make our way there at some point in the series. You find the stories of the birth of Christ in Matthew chapters 1 and 2 and in... Luke chapters 1 and 2 and here the Bible tells us now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise so we're about to get into the Christmas story notice what the Bible says when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph of course the his there is referring to Jesus and the Bible tells us that his mother Mary was espoused to Uh, To Joseph. And here's one thing that I want you to understand, and maybe this is sometimes a little bit of a misconception when it comes to the Christmas story, but you need to understand that Joseph and Mary were married. Joseph and Mary were married. They were not simply engaged. Sometimes people think, oh, Joseph and Mary were engaged, but the Bible does not say that. The Bible says that they were married. The Bible says here that his mother, Mary, was espoused. To Joseph, The word espoused there, especially the way it's used in the 1600s, when the King James Bible was translated, is an archaic form of the term married. When it says that they were espoused, it means that they were married. Notice, though, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Notice verse 19. Then Joseph, and and, and if you say, well, I don't know, maybe espoused means that they were engaged. Okay, how about this? Then Joseph, her husband. So notice that they were married not her fiancé, not her the guy she's going to marry, but the Bible says, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary, notice these terms, thy wife. So I want you to see that they were married. Joseph and Mary were married. They were not simply married. Now, the reason I bring that up is to say this, that Joseph finds himself in a bit of a dilemma because of the fact that Joseph and Mary are married, but the Bible tells us they had not yet come together and they had not yet consummated the marriage. Matthew 1, look at verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, notice these terms, before they came together. And the Bible often uses this terminology uh, to speak about the physical relationship of a husband and wife. And the Bible is telling us here that Joseph and Mary, though they were married, they had not yet consummated their marriage. So they had not yet physically... Uh, been together, and I don't have time to go through and run a, a lot of verses on this, so I'm just going to explain this to you. Uh, we are going to run a lot of verses and go to a lot of passages here in a minute, but I, let me just explain this to you quickly. And if you're interested, in I'll give you the references, and you can jot this down. But when it comes to a biblical marriage or the requirements for biblical marriage, the Bible says that there are three things that need to happen in order. For there to be a biblical legitimate marriage, a marriage that it, God uh, that God recognizes as a marriage, there are three different aspects that need to happen. The first is this: a biblical marriage requires a verbal covenant. A biblical marriage requires a verbal covenant. And again, we can look at a lot of passages to prove this. I'll just give you one proof text if you want it, but you do We don't. We're not going to go there. Malachi 2:14 references marriage and it and it refers to God speaking to the husband and he says the wife of thy covenant so when it comes to marriage there has to be a verbal covenant this is what we would consider the vows there has to be some sort of a covenant or vow verbally that the husband and wife enter into in order to be married so there has to be a verbal covenant but there's another requirement Uh, A biblical marriage not only requires a verbal covenant, but a biblical marriage requires a legal contract. And some people uh, don't acknowledge this or don't believe this, uh, but the Bible teaches this very clearly, uh, that by societal standards, God expects you to be legally married. Now, God does not, nowhere in the Bible does it say that you have to go get a marriage license from the county of Sacramento. Obviously, we understand that. But the Bible does indicate that throughout history and throughout cultures and throughout time, whatever the legal social standard was to be legally considered married, that is what God expected you to do. And here's a proof of that. Uh, In Deuteronomy 24.1, the Bible talks about the fact that when a husband was to divorce his wife, that he should write her a bill of divorcement. Uh, So the question that I often give to people who say, oh, I don't know that we really need a marriage license. Uh, Well, if you need a bill of divorcement to no longer be married, according to God, then there must be some sort of a legal aspect uh, to your marriage. So a biblical marriage requires a verbal covenant, vows that are entered into. A biblical marriage requires some sort of, we would call a legal contract, but whatever the societal standards of that, uh, you know, whatever society says needs to happen for someone to be married, then that is what... Uh, we believe the Bible teaches is required for marriage. And then the third step is that a biblical marriage requires physical consummation. Uh, Deuteronomy 21:13, you have to turn there. It says this, "Thou shalt go in unto her to be her husband and she shall be thy wife." And the Bible teaches that until the consummation process, until uh, vows have been uh, given, Uh, they've entered into a covenant, a contract has been signed, they've legally done what needs to be done for them to be married, and then they've consummated the marriage. Until all three of those things are accomplished, then uh, marriage is not finalized uh, biblically. And let me just kind of help you understand this. In our society, the culture that we live in, these three steps usually all happen in one day. I mean, we've performed a lot of weddings here at Verity Baptist Church, and we'll have a ceremony where the, uh, the bride and the groom will stand before friends and family, and most importantly, before God, and they will enter into vows, and they will say, I do, and they will say, uh, I, you know, uh, that, that they are promising themselves to each other. So they enter into a vow. What do we do immediately after that? We sign a contract and two witnesses will they'll sign that they uh, entered into those vows and two witnesses will sign that they saw them enter into that vow and we do the legal aspect and of course, usually in American culture, you have the honeymoon that same night, that same right after the wedding, they go to their honeymoon and there's consummation. So in our culture, these three steps happen all in one day. In the biblical culture, these three steps could happen over a period of weeks or over a period of months. So they might enter into a covenant and already be considered husband and wife before they uh, finished all these other aspects of it. And that's what we see in the story of Joseph and Mary. They were married. They had already made the covenant. They'd probably already had the legal uh, documentation needed or whatever their society uh, needed from them to be married. But the Bible is clear to tell us that they had not yet consummated the marriage. They were married, but the marriage had not been finalized. Now, here's why that's important. Look at Matthew 1 and verse 18. The Bible says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, before they finalized the marriage, she was found with child. She was found with child. And I want you to notice here, the Bible says, the the writer of the book of Matthew, which is of course uh, Matthew, but we know that it's the Holy Spirit who's narrating the story for us. The Bible tells us she was found with child of the holy ghost now here's the thing you and i know that because we're reading the story and the narrator is telling us that you she, she was found with child of the holy ghost but you need to understand that joseph did not know that here's all joseph knows is that he married this young lady he's probably they're they're called a spouse he's called her husband she's called his wife Uh, They haven't yet came together and consummated the marriage. So they probably have done the vows. They probably have done the legalities of their marriage. But they have not yet consummated their marriage or finalized their marriage. And all of a sudden, he finds out that she is with child. She is pregnant. And here's what Joseph knows. It's not his. So there's a dilemma. The dilemma of Joseph. And look, this would be heartbreaking for anybody. This would be heartbreaking for a young man who enters into this marriage union with this young lady, all the hopes and dreams, not of Christmas, but of his future family that he probably had. To find out and to think and to realize that she's with child, we see the dilemma of Joseph. But I'd like you to notice, not only do we see the dilemma of Joseph, we see the discernment of Joseph. Notice verse 19, notice what the Bible highlights. The Bible actually highlights this about both Joseph and Joseph. Mary, we'll deal with it when we deal with Mary in another sermon, but Matthew 119 says this, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, notice these words, was minded, was minded to put her away. The word minded there refers to the fact that he was thinking about. He was minded, and something the Bible highlights about this man Joseph is that he was a thinker. Look at verse 20, but while he thought... On these things. It's interesting to me that Joseph was not a rash man. He was not a careless man. He was not impulsive. He finds out that Mary is with child, and the Bible does not tell us that he freaks out. The Bible does not tell us that he becomes very angry and hateful and hurtful towards Mary. The Bible does not tell us that he, uh, that, that he uh, uh, does any of these things. The Bible tells us that he began to think and he was minded. He thought on these things. It teaches us, and we see in this example the discernment of Joseph. You know, one thing that we can all learn about Joseph is this is that from time to time we may find ourselves in a little bit of a dilemma. We may find ourselves in a position when we have been hurt. But Joseph was the type of individual who was not rash and was not careless, was not impulsive, he was not hurtful, though I'm sure he was hurting. The Bible tells us he thought. He was minded. He thought on these things. But I'd like you to notice the decision of Joseph in verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded, and I want you to notice this little phrase, to put her away. To put her away privately. Now, what the Bible is telling us here is that Joseph, when it says that he was minded, or it says that he was thinking about these things, the Bible is telling us that he was considering his options. He finds out that his wife, who he has not yet consummated the marriage with, is with child, and he is thinking about, and he is considering whether or not he should put her away. Now, you're there in Matthew chapter 1. I'd like you to flip over to Matthew chapter 5 just real quickly. Let me be very clear about what the Bible is saying here. The term put away in your King James Bible means divorce. He was considering divorcing her. This is what the Bible says, Matthew 5, verse 31. Now, let me just say this, and I'm going to explain it to you here in a minute. But the type of divorce that Joseph was considering is not the type of divorce that the average American thinks of today. In Matthew 5, and verse 31, though, let me prove to you that this term, put away or put her away, is referring to divorce. Matthew 5, 31 says this, It hath been said, Whosoever shall... Put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. Again, Matthew 5, highlighting the fact that this is a legal uh, union. And if it's going to come to an end, it needs to come to an end legally uh, uh, through the writing of a divorcement. But I want you to notice that these terms are being used interchangeably here in this verse. If he's going to put her away, he needs to give her a writing of divorcement. Why? Because put away means to divorce now let me be clear about something the Bible is against divorce God is against divorce God's will is not for any couple to ever divorce however with that said let me say this in the Bible there is one exception for divorce and if you've never heard me preach on this or a biblical pastor preach on this let me just be very clear it's probably not what you're thinking because there's one exception in the Bible for a biblical divorce, and Joseph found himself in that position. You say, what is it? Well, look at, look at you're there in Matthew 5, look at verse 32. In, in, in verse 31, the Bible says, Jesus said, these words are in red, it hath been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give a writing of divorcement, verse 32, but I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, Saving for the cause of fornication causeth her to commit adultery. Now, I want you to notice the word saving there. The word saving means except for. Now, here's what Jesus is saying. That whosoever shall put away his wife, saving or except for the cause of fornication causeth her to commit adultery. I want you to understand the primary teaching is this. The Bible says and Jesus says that whosoever shall put away his wife for any other reason than the one that he's about to estate, uh, estate causeth her to commit adultery and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. And look, I understand that we live in the United States of America and 60% of our society is divorced. And we have a lot of people probably in this room that have been divorced. And look, if you're divorced, I'm not against you. I love you. I'm for you. I'm not preaching against you. But, here's what, but I'm not going to water down what the Bible says. And the Bible says that God is against divorce. Amen. And, and, and if you've been divorced, here's what I know. I've never been divorced, but here's what I know about divorce. And here's what uh, uh, research tells us about divorce, that if you've been divorced, it was probably the hardest, most traumatic time of your life. And so you shouldn't get mad at a preacher who's preaching against divorce. If you've been divorced, you should be thankful that there's a preacher preaching against it to try to help some of these young couples to work through their problems and not go down that road. Amen. So here God says that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. This is Jesus saying, I'm against almost all divorce. He says saving except for there's one exception where God says, where Jesus said, I will biblically allow for divorce. He says for the cause of fornication. Now let me just point out to you, it does not say for the cause of adultery. It doesn't say because we are no longer compatible. It doesn't say because we have drifted away. It doesn't say because he got fat or she got whatever. (laughs) Jesus says, there's one exception for the cause of fornication. Now, I'd like you to go with me, if you would, to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, what Jesus is referring to is what's taught in the book of Deuteronomy, in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 22. There's an exception, the cause of fornication. Now, adultery is a physical, engaging in a physical relationship after marriage or with someone that's married. Fornication is engaging in a physical relationship before marriage. Jesus said, there's one exception where I will allow for divorce, where the Bible allows for divorce, and it is for the cause of fornication. So what is that referring to? Deuteronomy 22, it's explained in the Word of God, Deuteronomy 22, verse 13. Deuteronomy 22:13. 13. I'd like you to get there because I want you to see this. And this is part of the Christmas story, by the way. You say, this doesn't feel real nice. Well, it didn't feel nice for Joseph either. But in Deuteronomy 22 and verse 13, the Bible says this, If any man take a wife, notice, they're married, and go in unto her. This is the biblical terminology for consummation of the marriage. He's going to consummate the marriage. Now, please understand this. If he's taken a wife and he's going to go in unto her, he has not yet consummated the marriage. He is going to consummate the marriage with her. But then the Bible says, and hate her. Now, why does he hate her? Verse 14, and give occasion a speech against her and bring up an evil name upon her and say, I took this woman. Now, he took this woman. Remember verse 13, if any man take a wife, he took her as a wife. Oftentimes when we perform marriages, we, uh, part of the vow ceremony is, do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? Do you take this man to be your lawfully wedded husband? He says, I took this woman, and then when I came to her, he says, I found her not a maid. Now, the word maid is used synonymously in your King James Bible with the word virgin. And here's the example being given in Deuteronomy 22, is that when a man... Marries a woman, and then he 's not yet consummated the marriage, but before he consummates the marriage, he finds out that she 's not a maid, then God would allow at that point for them to be divorced. This is the only exception to divorce in the Bible and here 's what I want you to understand: the only time that God allows for divorce in the Bible and he'll recognize it as a biblical divorce is before the three aspects of marriage have been finalized. Do you understand that? Once all three are finalized, according to God, it's still death to its part. But God says, if you have not yet finalized one of these three steps, and specifically here, the example, if you've not yet consummated the marriage, then even if you've been legally married, and even if you've made the vows, He said, I will allow for that Uh, divorce. So, please understand, this does not apply to 99.9% of married couples out there. Some of you consummated the marriage before you even got married. This doesn't apply to you. And look, that counts according to the Bible. God uses that terminology of becoming one flesh, even in fornication. Obviously, that doesn't make you married because you also need to have vows, and you also need to uh, have the contract. But the point is this, the only time that God allows for divorce is when a man has married a wife, he's performed vows, he's legally become married, but they've not yet consummated the marriage, they can still decide at that point to back out. And that is the only time in the entire Bible where God says, I'll allow it. So let me be clear about something. That doesn't apply, that probably doesn't apply to your situation. Whatever your situation is, he's a dirtbag, he won't work, she's mean, I don't care, None of you married him, if you consummated the marriage, you made vows and you signed a contract, it's the death to his part, let, let us help you have a biblical marriage so you can be happy. But you know, God is against divorce. Now if you've been divorced, God, you know, just ask God to forgive you and move on. If you're already remarried, then you know what, God's will for your life is the one you're married to. And don't divorce that one and just stay with it, okay? We're not mad at you. I'm, just, I'm also just not going to lie to you. You should, you should be thankful you have a pastor who doesn't lie to you. Amen. doesn't just try to make you feel good. So this is the one exception. I hope it's clear. Amen. And it's the position Joseph found himself in. Now, here's the interesting thing about this exception. To, to, to And by the way, let me say this. Jesus called it divorced. What we would probably call it today is an, an, an annulment. That's what we would, because we, divorce to us happens, you know, 10 years after you've been married. This is where they have legally signed the contract, they made the vows, they've not yet consummated marriage, and they're like, yeah, I don't want to do this, she's pregnant, she hasn't been faithful, whatever, and we, what we would call it is an annulment, but the Bible calls it divorce, it's the only exception for divorce in the Bible. I hope that's clear. Now, when it comes, and by the way, let me just say this: God hates divorce. Literally. You don't have to turn here. Malachi 2.16, the Bible says, For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. He hates divorce. God hates divorce. God hates marriages that break up. God hates families that break up. God hates all of it. God would rather you work it out. Now, when it comes to this one exception. There are actually two options for you, for an individual like Joseph, to then seek this type of divorce. You're there in Deuteronomy 22, look at verse 20. Now, I'm not going to take the time to read all this because I I don't have the time to go through it, Um, but first, you have to prove that she actually wasn't a virgin. You can't just say it and and be done with it. it. It has to be proven. But once it is, there are two options to go through with this. Option number one is to deal with it publicly. Notice Deuteronomy 22 and verse 20. But if this thing be true, what thing be true? That she was not a maid, Deuteronomy 22, 14. That she was not a virgin, and the tokens of her virginity be not found for the damsel. So it cannot be proven that she was a virgin. Then they shall bring out the damsel to the door of her father's house, And the men of her city shall stone her with stones that she die, because she hath wrought folly in Israel to play the whore in her father's house. So shalt thou put evil away from among you. According to Old Testament law, if a man married a woman, and before he consummated the marriage, he found out that she wasn't a virgin, and then decided to divorce her or annul that marriage as a result. One way that he could do that is to do it publicly, and it would end up with the public shaming of this woman and her being stoned to death. And there's a, God put the death penalty upon fornication. By the way, young people, obviously we don't live under Old Testament uh, Israel, but this should tell you how seriously God takes the sin of fornication, Amen. that in his culture, and his society, he put the death penalty on it. It's not, it's not a game. It's not something to play with. But there's another way to deal with it. The first option was to deal with it publicly. But there's another option to deal with it privately. Go to Deuteronomy 24, look at verse 1. Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. Notice what the Bible says in Deuteronomy 24 1. When a man hath taken a wife, remember he took this woman, Deuteronomy 22:14. 14. He has taken a wife, Deuteronomy 22, 13. When a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because he had found some uncleanness in her, and again, I don't want to get into all these all the details, but the idea here is that they either find out that she wasn't a virgin because she's pregnant—that's what Joseph probably thought about Mary—or maybe they find out that she's not a virgin because of some sort of sexually transmitted disease. Which, look, obviously, that's God's punishment on fornication. So, because he had found some uncleanness in her, then let. Him write her a bill of divorcement and give it her uh, to in her hand and send her out of his house and when she is departed out of his house she may go and be another man's wife. So I just want to be clear because I, I think maybe you read the Christmas story and, and if you don't understand all these things then you kind of miss what's going on here. Mary and Joseph have been married. He was her husband. She was his wife. Legally they were married verbally, covenant, all of that was done, but they had not yet consummated the marriage, which means that the marriage was not finalized and there was still an option for them to, what we would call annul the marriage, what the Bible says would be divorce, but it's the one exception to divorce. And there were several options as to how to do this. The first option was to do it publicly, and this would cause public shame for the young lady, and under Old Testament law, she'd be put to death. The second option was for it to be done privately where he would write her a bill of divorcement and send her away. Now, obviously, eventually people would find out and know, but at least she wouldn't be put to death and there wouldn't just be this public shaming uh, situation where she was put put to death in front of all these people. Go back to Matthew chapter 1, look at verse 19. Notice what the Bible says about Joseph. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example... He was not willing to take the public route, deal with this publicly. Not willing to make her a public example was minded to put her away privately. So the Bible tells us that when it came between option one and option two, Joseph had already decided he was not willing to take option one. He was not willing to shame her publicly. He was not willing to to take the public uh, approach of dealing with this. And if he was going to devour her he was going to do it with option number two, which was privately or in a private way. But then the Bible says this in verse 20, but while he thought on these things. So verse 19 tells us he was not willing to make a public example of her. He'd already made that decision. And if he was going to divorce her, if he was going to put her away, it would be done privately. But then verse 20 tells us that he still was thinking about it. So what was he thinking about? Was he debating, should I do it publicly or privately? Should I do it publicly or privately? I don't believe that's what he was thinking about because verse 19 tells us he'd already decided that he was not willing to do that. That was not an option for him. So then if if option number one, make a public example of her, is not an option, you've already decided if you're going to Put her away, you're going to do it privately. Then what are you still thinking about, Joseph? And what Joseph was thinking about, I'll submit to you this morning, is he was still considering option number three. You say, what's option number three? To just forgive her. To just marry her anyway. To just forgive her and to love her and to raise the child as his own. See, in Matthew chapter 19, if you would go there, when we look at this idea of this one option for divorce, Jesus says, and the Bible says, I'll allow it, I'll allow it. If you've not yet consummated the marriage, if you've not yet finalized the marriage, I'll allow it. But Jesus himself says, I'll allow it, but that's not the best choice. Matthew 19 and verse 7 says this, They say unto him, why did Moses then command to give her a writing of divorce and to put her away? Verse 8, Matthew nineteen eight, And he says unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered, the word suffer means allowed you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. Now Moses did not allow for any divorce. When they're talking about Moses allowed you to put away your wives, they're talking about that one exception where you not yet consummated the marriage, you not yet finalized the marriage, he would allow you to do that. But God tells us that he suffered you to put your wives away because of the hardness of your hearts. Because of the bitterness and anger of an individual finding out before he finalized the marriage that his spouse, that his wife had been unfaithful, God says, because of the hardness of your heart. But then he says, from the beginning it was not so. And here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, even that will allow it, but we don't like it, is what Jesus says. Because Jesus says, you know what the best thing would be? Is to forgive. I mean, doesn't God forgive all our sins? Aren't we thankful that all of our sins have been forgiven? And I think in this dilemma, and in this discernment, and in this decision by Joseph, we find the greatness of Joseph and probably why Joseph was chosen. Think about God the Father choosing the man that would raise his son. He chose Joseph. I wonder if it was because of his mercy. He was not willing to make a public example of her. Though he was hurt, he did not want to hurt her. Look at Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20. We saw the dilemma of Joseph. We saw the discernment of Joseph. We saw the decision of Joseph. But I'd like you to also notice the duty of Joseph. Notice his response. Matthew 1 and verse 20, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not. Now the only reason that an angel would say to someone, fear not, is because they were afraid. Joseph, he just didn't know what to do. He's still thinking about these things. And the angel of the Lord, the Bible says that the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not, to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. He says, look, God allowed Joseph to not know long enough to show us how Joseph would respond. But then God lets Joseph in on the secret and he says, look, she has been faithful to you. She hasn't been playing the the whore. The Bible tells us that God told him, hey, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou, Joseph, the most forgotten character of the Christmas story, the most overlooked character of the Christmas story, the angel gives the responsibility to Joseph, thou shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Notice verse 24. Then Joseph being raised from sleep. Notice Joseph. He didn't have to think anymore. Once the will of God was revealed, once he knew what God expected and wanted, the Bible says, Then Joseph being raised from sleep did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. And knew her not, referring to having the physical relationship with her, till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he, Joseph, called his name Jesus. Who named Jesus? It was Joseph. Because at that time in that culture, it was the man's responsibility to name the child. And that responsibility was given to Joseph. Joseph called his name Jesus. I want you to notice his response was a response of obedience even though he would be reproached. And again, the Bible doesn't necessarily, I mean, the Bible does seem to indicate this. But I'm sure there was gossip. I'm sure there was murmurings. I'm sure people were saying, oh, that Joseph, he's an idiot. Yeah, that baby came from God, sure thing. Joseph, wake up, she's lying to you. Don't you think that's what happened? I mean, the Bible seems to indicate that because Jesus in his ministry says that they were saying of of him that he was born out of adultery. That he was born from, that, that he was conceived out of fornication. So, this was probably something that people were saying. This was a reproach that Joseph had to carry. Joseph knew that wasn't true, but his response was a response of obedience. And I want you to notice, not only do we see his response, we're looking at the duty of Joseph. We see his response, but I'd like you to notice the Bible also highlights for us his responsibility. Go to Matthew chapter 2 and look at verse 13 real quickly. We'll come to Matthew 2 at another time in this series, but I just want to highlight the part that deals with Joseph, Matthew chapter 2. Notice the responsibility of Joseph, he was his family's protector. Matthew 2.13, And when they were departed, behold, the angel Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. Whose responsibility was to protect Jesus and Mary? It was Joseph's responsibility. And the Bible tells us he did that. The Lord said, hey, you need to take the child. You need to flee to Egypt. They're going to try to kill the baby. And the Bible tells us that he departed to Egypt by night. Look at verse 15, and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, out of Egypt have I called my son. Look at verse 16, then Herod when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, we'll come back to that story at another time, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and all the coast thereof for two from two years old and under according to the time which he had diligently acquired of the wise men, then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet saying, Rama Ramah there, uh, was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not look at verse 19 but when herod was dead behold the angel lord appeared in a dream to joseph in egypt saying arise and take the young child and his mother and go into the land of israel for they are dead which sought the young child's life and he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of israel you know the bible doesn't tell us a lot about joseph but what the bible does tell us about joseph is that he obeyed every time god spoke to him he obeyed every time god told him marry her he married her Take them to Egypt. He took them to Egypt. Bring them back to Israel. He brought them back to Israel. We see that he was a protector. But I want you to notice that Joseph was also a provider. Look at verse 22. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea, remember they're coming back to Israel, Israel. He heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod. He was afraid to go hither, notwithstanding being warned of God in a dream. He turned aside into the parts of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, he shall be called a Nazarene. And of course we know the the rest is history, right? Jesus was raised in Nazareth. He was Jesus of Nazareth. He was raised in Nazareth by Joseph and Mary, and Joseph provided for Jesus. He was his protector on earth. He was not his father. He was his stepfather. But on earth, he was his protector and he was his provider. And not only did he protect and provide but he also helped prepare Jesus. Let's just run the verses real quickly. You're there in Matthew 2. Go to Matthew 13. Matthew 13. Look at verse 55. Later on in the life of Jesus, when Jesus is in his full-time ministry, here's what people said about Jesus. Matthew 13, Is not this the carpenter's son? Who are they referring to? Joseph. Joseph was a carpenter. He's a tradesman. My dad was a, carp- was a carpenter, is a carpenter. And here uh, they say about Jesus, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Now, here's what's interesting. Matthew 13, says that they said, is not this the carpenter's son? Go to Mark real quickly, Mark chapter 6. Matthew, Mark, one book over, Mark chapter 6. Look at verse 3. In Mark chapter 6 and verse 3, they're saying something very similar, but it's a little different. And it's not a contradiction. It's just they said both things. In Matthew 13, they said about Jesus, is not this the carpenter's son? In Mark 6 and verse 3, here's what they said about Jesus. Is not this the carpenter?" the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph, and of Judas and Simeon, and are not his sisters here with us, and they were offended at him. Jesus went into full-time ministry at 30 years old, but before, from 20 years old, when he was an adult, uh, biblically, to 30 years old, the Bible tells us that he was a carpenter. Now, his father was a carpenter his stepfather Joseph was a carpenter is not this the carpenter's son is what they said sometimes but they also said is not this the carpenter Joseph was a carpenter Jesus was a carpenter you know what that tells me that tells me that Joseph had a hand in raising Jesus and obviously, trained him to be able to work and provide for himself. And I would imagine that Jesus spent many hours working alongside Joseph, learning from Joseph, learning the skills of carpentry because his father and uh, his stepfather was a carpenter, and then Jesus was a carpenter. And by every indication in the Bible, you know what we know about Joseph is that he was a good man, that he provided and he protected, he prepared Jesus. Now, the interesting thing, go back to Matthew chapter 1. I'd like you to go to Matthew chapter 1, and then I'd like you to find the book of Ecclesiastes. If you open up your Bible just right in the center, you are more than likely following the book of Psalms. Right after Psalms, you have the book of Proverbs and then Ecclesiastes. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Find Ecclesiastes chapter 12, if you would, and go back to Matthew chapter 1. The Bible doesn't tell us a lot about Joseph other than what we've already seen here in Matthew chapter 1 and chapter 2. We know that by the time Jesus is dying on the cross, Joseph is out of the picture. And we know that because of the fact that when Jesus is dying on the cross, Jesus makes sure that the apostle John cares for Mary, for her well-being. What that tells us is that at that time, Jesus was the one who was, had the burden or had the responsibility of financially caring for his mother. What that tells us is, this, is that Joseph was probably dead. We don't know that for sure. The Bible doesn't tell us that he died. But the fact that Jesus was caring for her means that Joseph was out of the picture and probably dead. And of course, when Jesus was on the cross dying, he makes sure that John takes care of Mary financially and that he would take care of her. So the Bible doesn't tell us a lot about Joseph. We see these stories. We see these events in Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 2. That's really all we get about Joseph. We don't know a lot about Joseph. We see his response, we see his reproach, we see his responsibility. But we do get a little bit of his reputation. In Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18, I'd like you to notice that it. it says this. Matthew 1.18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost, verse 19, then Joseph, her husband, here's what the Bible says. Here's what the narrator of the Bible says. Here's what the Holy Spirit decides to tell us about Joseph. Then Joseph, her husband, notice these words, being a just man. I don't know about you, but if my name was going to be written in the Bible, I'd love for it to be described, I'd love to be described this way, being a just man. Obviously, that speaks to the fact that he was a saved individual, But it speaks to the fact that he was a disciple. He was a follower. And we see that in the story. He's he's following God's will for his life. He's a merciful man. He was a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away. It's interesting to me. Because Joseph, though he's all over this story, and though he had a front row seat to the events of the birth of Christ, there's not a lot of sermons preached about Joseph. There's not any songs that I really know of sung about Joseph. He's not really, when children do Christmas plays, he's not really a big character. We tend to focus on the angels. We tend to focus on the shepherds. And we tend to focus on the wise men. We tend to focus on Mary. We, of course, tend to focus on the baby, uh, the Christ child, the Lord Jesus Christ. But we often overlook. We often Forget, he often kind of just fades into the background. This man, Joseph. But to me, this is comforting because Joseph is probably like you and I. You may not ever be well known, you may not have many chapters of the Bible written about you or many chapters of any book written about you like the Joseph of the Old Testament more sermons are preached about the Joseph of the Old Testament than the Joseph of the New Testament. More sermon series are about the Joseph of the Old Testament than the Joseph of the New Testament. More thoughts and more writings and more preaching has been done about the Joseph of the Old Testament than the Joseph of the New Testament. And the truth is this, that someone may not write down the life story of you and of me. Someone may not write songs about the things that we did, like they wrote songs about the angels and the shepherds and the wise men. Someone may not really remember us and the role that we played in in any sort of situation like Joseph. Your life and my life may be a lot like Joseph. We might die, and it's never even documented how. We might fade into history. We might be forgotten. We might be overlooked, like Joseph. This last week, my grandmother died. On Friday, November 24th, just a couple of days ago you probably don't know my grandmother, never met her. She actually came to the United States. I was born in Venezuela. We moved here when I was four years old. so I don't really know a lot about Venezuela. My grandmother visited here. She came to this church years ago once. She was 84 years old. And my grandmother, my, my grandfather, uh, he died in 2012, and my grandfather was saved as a result of, let me say it this way, my grandmother was saved as a result of American missionaries that went to Venezuela. She got saved, and then her husband, my grandfather, her name was Josefina Lovera, his name was Felipe Lovera, he got saved after she got saved, and they spent decades in an independent fundamental Baptist church in Maracay, Venezuela. They raised my mother and all her siblings there. My dad eventually got saved through the same influence of missionaries. My grandfather actually ended up becoming a Baptist preacher. He started a little church in a little town in Venezuela that you've probably never heard of. It's called We." we. And I went there once, maybe twice when I was a kid. Little church, little country church in South America that you've probably never heard of. One of the memories that I have of going to church with my grandfather, who was a Baptist preacher, is this just being in this little room with a handful of people, and my grandmother taking the offering. <laughs> Tells you so much about how, how things worked there. They didn't have ushers with coats and all these things. And she was a happy woman. She was lovely. And she was a godly woman. My grandfather was a preacher, a pastor. She was a preacher's wife, a pastor's wife. She loved the Lord. She loved her children. She loved her grandchildren. And though I honestly did not get to spend as much time with her as I wish I could have, I know that I'll be able to spend time with her in heaven one day. I'm thankful for the heritage that I've been given of Christianity. Because... Here's the thing. She had an influence on my life. She had an impact on my life. And for whatever it's worth, here I stand today preaching in Sacramento, California with 250 people here in church. Right now, our sermons get, on average, about 1,000 views on one website, 1,500 views on another website. There's over 4,000 people that get our sermons emailed to them every week. And all of those people... And you, as well, you didn't realize it, but this little four-foot-eleven Venezuelan 84-year-old woman had an impact on you and on me. And here's the thing. You probably won't remember her name. We will remember her name, her family. But once we pass, decades from now, and... Centuries from now, my grandfather and my grandmother will probably not be remembered. There won't be songs written about them. There won't be books written about them. Just like Joseph. But you know, the truth of the matter is this, that Joseph and Felipe, and not Joseph, but Josephina, Josefina, they served God with their lives. Amen. And that's enough. In Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13, I'd like you to see it. Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen, the Bible says this. Let us hear this. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Here the writer of Ecclesiastes, and if you're familiar with the book of Ecclesiastes, it's all about life. It's all about making an impact with your life. It's all about not wasting your life. He, over and over he talks about emptiness and vanity, vanity of vanity, saith the preacher. And here at the end of Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13, Solomon, a man that is remembered, a man that books were written about, a man that wrote many, uh, much of the Old Testament Scripture, here's what he says under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. He says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And here's what I know about Joseph. And here's what I know about Josefina that though they might be overlooked in life, they may eventually be forgotten. Their lives may quietly fade into the background. They fulfilled their purpose in life because they feared God and they kept his commandments. And that's enough. This is the whole duty of man. What we learn from the story of Joseph is that the greatest thing that you may do in life is not something you did but someone you raised. And that's enough. So let us stay faithful to our marriages. Let us not use the divorce word. Let us meet our responsibilities. You see, all Joseph did was provide and protect. That's all he did was provide and protect and everything got acknowledged. Never even got one Christmas song greatest thing that you and I may ever do is raise someone who raises someone who raises someone who serves God. And that's enough. So let's remember Joseph every once in a while. The forgotten hero. The most overlooked character of the Christmas story. And let us remember all of the Josephinas out there who faithfully served God, faithfully loved God, faithfully loved their husbands, faithfully raised their children, faithfully influenced and impacted their grandchildren. Let's remember the great legacy that they left for us. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. And Lord, we thank you for a story like the story of Joseph. Often forgotten and overlooked, but not by you. You knew him. You recognized him. You were pleased with him. He was a just man. Lord, I thank you for all the Josephs out there. Lord, I do thank you for my grandmother and her life. I thank you for my grandfather and his life and the impact and influence that they had. I thank you for a life that served you. For a man and a woman that would just fear God and keep his commandments, and that was enough. That's the whole duty of man. Lord, I pray you'd help us to come to the end of our lives and be faithful. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Yeah. We're going to have Brother Matt come up and lead us in a final song. Just want to remind you of a couple of things. First of all, I want to encourage you to be back tonight, 6 p.m., for the evening service. And, uh,